Hey guys, it's Sophia. We have something really exciting that's coming soon. Just before we get into Girl Boss Radio, it's kind of mysterious. It looks and smells like a community. It hasn't launched yet, but I want you to be the first to sign up for early access. You can do that at thefuture.girlboss.com. That's thefuture.girlboss.com. We've got a great guest coming up today. She spoke at the most recent Girl Boss rally. She's fucking hilarious. Uh, actress, journalist, model, DJ, and activist Jamila Jamil. But first, let's talk about Blinkist. I'm a subscriber of Blinkist, and mm. it's such an interesting platform if you're a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have these lists of books we want to read, and you know, there's always people suggesting books or asking, like, what's the best book I should be reading next? And so Blinkist is the solution to your long list of must-reads, and it's really the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books, which is, like, my favorite because nonfiction means you're, like, learning things that, like, are actionable, which is so important to Mm -hmm. our community. And it distills them into the most impactful elements. So you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes, all of your phone. So it's really micro learning. You Mm -hmm. can learn everywhere, Mm -hmm. which is like, what's better than learning anywhere you go? I listen to Blinkist when I'm driving to the office, on walks, or when I'm painting with watercolors, as you might have seen (laughs) on my Instagram recently. And my favorite kind of, it's not that new of a book, but Mm -hmm. I've just been getting into it, is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mm -hmm. Mark Manson. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, there's five million people. If we can get five million people on a platform, that is no small feat. Mm -mm. And it's a subscription community, which is even harder to do. So clearly there's real value here, just speaking from my business brain. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for Girlboss Radio listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Girlboss to start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan when you join today. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Girlboss to start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Jamila Jamil is an actress, journalist, DJ, model, and activist. In 2009, Jamila's life changed dramatically as she went from an English teacher to hosting T4, the most popular youth TV program in the UK. There was this job replacing this fashionista called Alexa Chung. She was on T4, this TV program in England, and she was leaving to come to America to break America and uh, they needed a replacement and so he said you should go to the audition and I was like no I have no interest in being in show business it seems very silly to me and then he said it's a thousand pounds a day and I was like cool what's the address? From there she went on to become one of the show's main anchors and to get her own hit series Coco Pop. 
In 2012, BBC Radio 1 announced her as the new host for their request show on Sunday evenings. Ever the boundary breaker, Jamila became the first female presenter to host BBC Radio 1's official chart show. In addition to her broadcast work, Jamila worked as a model, fronting a TV campaign for Maybelline and doing numerous fashion shoots, including Vogue, InStyle, and Esquire. After a health scare she had in her late 20s, Jamila decided to completely restart her life. She quit her radio job and moved to the United States to pursue comedy. How do I feel about the way that I have lived my life? Like, do I feel like I've checked everything off my list? And am I actually happy? And is this my body's way of telling me that something's wrong? You know, because I believe that disease is just dis-ease. I think that when we get ill, I think our body is trying to give us a signal that perhaps there's something that we're doing that is wrong in our lives that needs to be changed so that we can become healthier people. Within a short amount of time, she had come upon a career she never expected, acting. Jamila can currently be seen starring in Mike Schur's series for NBC, The Good Place, where she acts opposite Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. It is her first acting role. Activism is also huge to Jamila. She recently launched a body positivity movement on Instagram called I Way. Today, over 51,000 people have joined the movement. It's a whole life positive movement. It's It challenges women to tell me what they weigh in achievements, in relationships, in interests, in things that they have survived, in things that they are currently working their way through. I want to know about the human being as a whole. In her free time, Jamila loves to DJ at major events and parties across the world. Today, Jamila is here to talk about how to attain a positive body image, how to gain the courage to take a major leap in your life, and how to manage all your side hustles and front hustles. We'll get into our chat with Jamila in just a moment, but first, Maggie and I are going to chat all about what's going on here at the Girl Boss offices. What's up, Maggie? Hey. Okay. We've talked about social media being a highlight reel. You know, don't compare your hustle yep. to their highlight reel. Mm-hmm. So social media is kind of that highlight reel into people's lives because behind the screen, we're all struggling or juggling multiple things, or mm-hmm. probably crying or arguing with somebody. Yeah, that's totally true. And it can get really annoying um, with sites and other people constantly hammering home this idea of taking a break from the sites or, you know, taking a full social detox which sounds nice, but we're all like, oh, okay, I, I've heard that before. Thank you. But we just want to say that one more time because it is really important. Social media is a blessing, but it's also a curse. It can destroy our brains and our confidence. sense of, yes, confidence, sense of reality, um, a lot of things. So it's just important to step back for a second. It doesn't have to be forever. It doesn't have to be for months. It could literally be for two days and you'll feel something. You'll feel like reinvigorated. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the site, we mention um, three ways that realistically you can do this. You don't have to get rid of social media forever. It's more of just like a quick unplug, a quick refresh, like a restart of the computer, essentially. Oh my God, I need that. What are these apps? I know, right? Literally, one of the things is super easy. Just mute your notifications. Those pop-ups that come on your phone mm-hmm. make the screen bright and just mute those and they don't show up. So you kind of forget if somebody's liking a post or tagging you um, in an Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's literally just not really. It's happening, but you're not getting the notifications. You really need to know that right now. <laughs> right. And Never. then you're not living in social time. 
It's You're just such a dopamine time. addiction. It's like we're so addicted to this positive feedback loop that isn't always positive. It's like mm-hmm. it seems like it because you're, con- you know, you're connected to other people, and then it becomes this whole kind of game show of impressing one another and having the better Fourth of July and being on the better vacation or having the more cool outfit or whatever mm-hmm. those things may be. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty to, of it of to a certain extent because it's like, why wouldn't we want to share the high, mm-hmm. best moments of our right. lives? But it can do a lot of damage to our self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It's true. The And so the other thing you can do, if muting isn't enough, you can use an app to track your time online. There are so many of these apps that now will like restrict the time spent on social media. It'll actually cut you off. There's one app called Off the Grid that will completely block your phone from use for a select period of time. And if you need to use it, you have to pay a dollar each time you want to. Yeah, each time you want to unlock it. Wow. <laughs> so that's a good. I mean, I don't. I haven't used it, but I feel like put your money where your mouth is. Like if you're not going to use it, mm-hmm. there you go. And there's one called the Space app. I've heard of. Mm-hmm. What's that? Yes. Space app is um, works by surveying your social media habits and then suggesting a usage goal for you. So you'll be rewarded essentially um, for every benchmark you hit along that goal path. Mm-hmm. Which is One cool. thing that I've done in the past just to make it really inconvenient for me to look at Instagram or Twitter or any of these apps is just delete it from your phone. You're yeah. not deleting your account, but to use it, you have to go to the app store, you have to download it, you have to mm-hmm. sign in. It just makes it a lot less convenient to get onto these platforms and when you're ready you can download it again but it's just like much harder to take the time to do that. I love that that one. Yeah. Yeah. Even for, it's good too if you're taking a proper vacation and really unplugging not just from social but from work too. Mm -hmm. You can delete your mail app which is sounds crazy I know it's not permanent but then it just keeps you from from looking at it while you're trying to enjoy a vacation or I basically just living you in real how time many times I like emailed people over the holiday or mm-hmm. I don't know check my social media it's like I'm at a barbecue eating hot dogs why am I looking at my phone I know I think it's because we can't help it yeah We're it's just like, like I'm just to, used mm-hmm. to it it's like my hands you know it's like smoking or some yeah. other habit it's it can my third be an hand. addiction. It can be a real addiction. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is the last option or a last feat if to separate yourself from your phone is just put it in a different room. If it's dying, throw go it in the ocean. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, get rid of it completely. Live on a boat in the ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> put it like charge it in your bedroom and mm-hmm. then go enjoy yourself in the kitchen. Or let and- it die and be like, "Oops." Yeah. On vacations, I ask my boyfriend to hide it from me. And Ooh. so he'll put it in the safe, in like the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, not drinking makes it especially boring to, you know, go on. Never mind. I can yeah. never just forget that part. I talk I, about that way too much. You know what I do? I If I have to do just a quick errand, I leave my phone at home totally. so I don't use. I go on uh, hikes, mm-hmm. you know. We're creating so much great content. Mm-hmm. This is just one small glimpse of what we're doing at girlboss.com. Yep. How do we find this on the site? For more articles like this and this piece, visit girlboss.com. And specifically, if you're looking for the social media detox piece, just type in um, at that search bar how to turn off social media. Now get ready to hear from actress, journalist, model, DJ, and activist, multi-hyphenate, Jamila Jamil. So where did you grow up? I grew up in London and Spain. Wow. Where in Spain? Marbella. 
My grandmother okay. lived there. So basically, uh, my family didn't have any money. So we would just go wherever the pound was strongest, even at one point to Pakistan, where it was very, very strong in the 90s. Uh, but yeah, it meant that I got a very kind of varied upbringing. And I spoke Spanish when I was younger and got a chance to embrace a lot of Mediterranean culture, which I think I have more of an affinity to than I do even with my own English culture. Interesting. So what did your parents, it seems like you were able to move around a lot. What did your parents do? Um, my dad was a businessman, but um, my mum was not working at the time. And so I guess that meant that we had freedom to be able to go wherever it was that we needed to go in order to be able to survive. Yeah. And and so I want to get into what you did in, like, you know, where you started your career in London. But how long have you been in L.A.? I've been in L.A. for three years now. How do you like it? I love it. Yeah? I'm not supposed to because I'm English and we're supposed to hate Los Angeles because the people here are too happy and attractive. Um, but I'm having a lovely time. Yeah. And I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying the... Uh, I'm enjoying the lifestyle here. Again, I think it, it kind of reminds me of my Mediterranean kind yeah. of uh, upbringing. What did you want to do as a kid? I wanted to be a doctor. I've always been fascinated with biology and uh, it's where I was steering all of my studies. I never, ever thought I would end up in anything to do with show business and, and I was quite shy and had really, really low self-confidence. So because of that, it meant that this was not something, this was a whole other world to me. I definitely enjoyed Hollywood and enjoyed reading fashion magazines and stuff, but it, it seemed very alien to what was natural to me. When Jamila was younger, she was in a terrible accident. It was so bad that they thought she may never walk again. Obviously, she walked again and a whole lot more. Jamila explained how that traumatic experience affected the course of her life. I was hit by a car at 17 and uh, damaged my back so badly I didn't walk again for over a year and that fully derailed all of my studies and then I think after you spend that much time almost in like solitary confinement and everyone else has moved on with their lives and gone off to college uh, I think that you just I, I couldn't face going back to school and finishing my education they were willing to let me finish my scholarship but I just couldn't sit in a classroom with girls who were younger than me for another year after just having lay in bed for so long and so I just decided to get up and blag my way. Do you have the word blag here? It's kind of like hustle. No. It's the English, ver it's the English version of hustle. So I decided to blag my, um, I'm kind of a professional blagger. I'm like the female Howard Hughes, but with way less money. Um, so we, how did you start your blag? So I went to a school that taught English as a foreign language and I lied about my qualifications. I lied about my age. Um, have, am I going to get arrested? No. Okay, cool. Um, Most people lie about <laughs> okay, everything good. on the resume. Uh, and they didn't check because I have an accent that makes me sound more educated than I am. And I passed the exam for the school anyway. And uh, they let me start teaching English as a foreign language, which is a really, really hard thing to do at first. Uh, because basically you're walking into a room full of people from 20 different nationalities, none of whom speak a word of English. And basically via the art of mime, mm -hmm. you have to start teaching them a fresh language and be able to keep it entertaining and light and funny. And these people are working from like 5am until 5pm and then they get to you in the evening sometimes and they're exhausted and you still have to find a way to help them process information which I think weirdly prepared me for this industry Yeah, because have, if you have, can do that, which is so scary I cannot tell you what it's like to sit in front of a, a classroom full of 70 year old Polish nuns and have to teach them via the art solely of mime why it's important to not pronounce sitting as shitting Oh yeah, that's a big one It was really gross <laughs> I do more of one than the other 
<laughs> and it's not sitting. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, have you taken a mime course since then, or do you just feel like you might be a self-taught mime? I think I am a self-taught mime. It's a weird skill set. Um, yeah, miming's like David Bowie's. A mi- was a mime. Like Charlie, Ch- like the coolest people have been mimes. Well, I'm flattered to join this lineage, uh, if I may. I think it's a, you know, and you get to wear stripes. Yes, exactly. In 2009, Jamila went from teaching English to hosting the most popular youth TV program in the UK, T4. She shared how she got this gig and how it changed her life. I was an English teacher, so for about two and a half years, and then I was in our local pub that we would go to every Friday where we would go and complain about the students together. And uh, I met a man there who was a TV producer, and he was very nice and very funny, and he encouraged me. He saw something in me that I definitely didn't see in myself, and nor did anybody else. Um, And he said that he thought that I was... that I had something that would be good for television and that there was this job replacing this fashionista called Alexa Chung. Oh, yeah. She was on T4, this TV program in England, and she was leaving to come to America to break America. And uh, they needed a replacement. And so he said, you should go to the audition. And I was like, no, I have no interest in being in show business. It seems very silly to me. And then he said, oh, it's a thousand pounds a day. And I was like, cool, what's the address? <laughs> and so I sent an email in to them and then they asked me for a video. I sent in a video and then they asked me to come in and I did. And a week later, I think I was so calm and confident in the uh, audition because I was sure that nothing would really come of it. And so I was just trying to soak up the experience of doing it and get all the free sandwiches that I possibly could. <laughs> I just stole like all the food and snacks and uh, I got the job and... A week later, I was live on Channel 4, which is one of like five big channels yeah. in the United Kingdom. And and I never really looked back. How terrifying was it to have the camera on you for the first time on live television? Totally terrifying. I've never had any media training. I had no idea what I was doing. And they gave me a week from being an English teacher to going live onto national TV. And basically all someone said to me is, can I swear on this? Yeah. So someone said to me, he walked up to me, had a headset on. I was just about to go live on my own on television, completely live, with no delay. And said, when that red light goes on, don't say fuck. And that was it. That was all the information I was basically given about being a TV presenter. Were you reading? Or were you just... I had a teleprompter. I was reading. But weirdly, so because of that year that I spent in bed, I watched television like 20 hours a day. Honestly, every moment that my eyes were open, they were looking at a TV screen. And I think I, like, via osmosis, ingested television and Mm -hmm. acting and hosting because I knew all the beats. Yeah. Without knowing why. Yeah. It was so strange. Because I know you came to the US. I'm just like a TV obsessed freak. Like, I I don't know where. There's a lot of TV TV obsessed freaks. I mean, it's like the entire culture. There's no way that, you know, everybody possesses what you possess. So that was your first real job in entertainment. Where did you go? At? What? How long were you there? I was at T4 for three years. That was the part of Channel 4, the youth entertainment strand of that. And then I said to my... I th- at the time, I was writing column for Company Magazine, which is like a kind of like Cosmo-esque. It's within the same brand. It's like a young version of Cosmo. And I was writing for them, and I'd wanted to kind of branch out away from television for a while because it was starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable for me. And and my profile was rising really fast in the United Kingdom because the United Kingdom is the size of a very small cat's bumhole <laughs> compared to America. So uh, it's very, very easy to become well-known there, even if you're not really doing anything 
something that warrants being that well known. Do you know what I mean? I hadn't like made a hit song or yeah. uh, a hit movie. I was just a broadcaster. So that was making me uncomfortable. I felt very invaded by paparazzi. They would park outside my house and take photographs up my skirt. And I just thought, you know, I'm a like a DJ and a, a radio and TV, sorry, a TV host. Um, I don't know if this is definitely what I'm ready for. I was only 25 years old. So uh, when I got offered a chance to go and audition for Radio One, BBC Radio One, um, because they'd been reading my columns and they liked my, I guess they liked my point of view, uh, uh, I write a very um, shame-free column, which is way too honest and open about my life, or I did anyway. And uh, I went to the audition and they gave me a job on the radio, which I then started doing for the following five years and really enjoyed. Wow. And so that was your sole gig. Was radio, was it uh, hosting a music show? Was it interviewing people? It was hosting a music show on which I would interview people and I would get to give, it was like our, it was the UK's equivalent of the Billboard 100. So I would get to give people like the statue of when they'd reached number one, which is a really fun thing to be able to be a part of someone's moment, especially the first time they ever get to number one. There's a point where Ed Sheeran now got like, he needs to buy a new house just for his awards, but other people who were young and upcoming, it was really, really great. And I was doing the occasional bit of TV hosting, but mostly I was just a D. I became a DJ, like a proper DJ who would go out to clubs, go on tour, go across Europe playing in the middle of the night, uh, which is a super lonely job. So like DJing music. (laughs) DJing music, yeah. And hosting a radio show. And hosting a radio show. And uh, I became more involved in like music management of like trying to help young artists find a platform uh, where they would not be especially young females where they would not be hypersexualized because there's a lot of that in the music industry so I really felt like that was probably going to be my new career and I would just live on the radio forever and be a, maybe start my own music management company and be a DJ for a long time I was very content with that but um, then I got a health scare when I was 28 years old where they found a lump a really big lump in my breast and I guess I don't know how to check my breast properly I've now since learned but I really didn't know I would just sort of like kind of end up playing with my nipples and then be like this is fine (laughs) uh so if anything I was just titillating myself uh and um the doctor found it during a routine check uh and it really scared me and then there's a week in which you have to wait for your cancer results and during that week I did a lot of soul searching and thought to myself like what 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 if this is cancer how do I feel about the way that I have lived my life like do I feel like I've checked everything off my list and am I actually happy and is this my body's way of telling me that something's wrong you know because I believe that disease is just dis-ease I think that when we get ill I think our body is trying to give us a signal that perhaps there's something that we're doing that is wrong in our lives that needs to be changed so that we can become healthier people and I realized that I've never I've never lived in another place as an adult and I've kind of not taken a week off work in seven years because I have that like fear that you get especially as a woman in this industry it's like oh no I'm gonna miss something I'm gonna miss someone else will replace me and you know I'll, I'll miss a huge opportunity so you just stay and you work and you work and you work and I just worked myself into the ground and the stress of that was clearly what was probably affecting my health and I I didn't feel fully satisfied. I loved being at BBC Radio 1, but I just kind of wanted to know what else was out there for me. And, and you get very much so pigeonholed in the United Kingdom, especially as a woman of colour. Um, as many opportunities as I was given, which I'm so grateful for, I still feel like there was uh, quite a low ceiling for where I would be able to go, especially over the age of 30. Just kind of 
become a contestant on reality TV shows, which I don't I don't mean that in a way of disrespect people who are or who do that, but it wasn't something that I wanted, especially not as someone who's fairly private about certain things about my life. How hard was it to find yourself in a place where your privacy was not your choice and the world was telling you who you were, what you should be, or how you're perceived, and weeding through that to find out who you really were? It was really hard and it led to quite a lot of anxiety because you develop this kind of dichotomy in this industry this kind of emo- there's this kind of emotional dichotomy that takes place where it's like the person that you are and then the person that's projected onto you who people expect you to be and then it's this kind of constant struggle between the two because i hadn't planned on becoming famous because i hadn't really ever even considered it when i was younger um there was no part of me that was prepared for it so i did definitely did find it extra invasive and I really couldn't understand what was happening but the other part of me knew that I was incredibly lucky to make the kind of money that I was making for a job that was way easier than jobs that some people do in order to make a living and I knew that I was living an amazing life and being able to travel to loads of interesting places and so I think that kind of guilt trip me out of feeling too sorry for myself which I think is good and important to maintain perspective it's very easy just to be like oh my life is so hard but there are so many people who work so hard and have so much harder lives so I just you know just I just shut the fuck up and do people say it. that you're resilient do you feel like you're resilient I think I'm resilient for overcoming breaking like bones in my body and damaging my back really badly and being able to come back from not being able to urinate on my own for a year during that time. I think that's what makes me resilient. I don't think surviving show business makes me particularly resilient. I'm not going to give myself too many like pats on the back for that one. And there's a point where you gain some weight. How was dealing with that? Which is like normal. Everybody, Mm -hmm. it happens to women, it happens you know and it's like you know you we should be comfortable with that but then the whole world is you know commenting on who you were who you should be or the changes that happen in your life because everybody in the public wants you to be a caricature they want you to stay the way you are they don't want you to change Um, you become this thing that people rely on to represent something for them and when you change I mean, I believe, and in my experience, you know, just like growing my bangs out has become like a thing because people really do like rely on you being on your this, Monica, yeah, yeah, being this thing that doesn't change, right? How is dealing with that and like the outside kind of voices commenting on you changing? That happened in particular. That was a really strange time because remember, like I said, I'd come in to kind of replace Alexa Chung, so I'd kind of stepped into her proverbial brogues and so therefore was kind of gifted almost this like I'm also a fashionista and I was also like quite slim when I first started on TV I was 22 years old um and super stressed (laughs) and so you know I I I was sort of navigating my way through that and then when I was 26 I I I I've struggled with asthma on and off my whole life and my asthma came back tenfold probably partially because of stress both from like my personal life and also working too hard And I had to go on steroids, which you take for asthma, which kind of relax your, I guess they relax your trachea or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how they work. But what I do know is that they make you want to eat people, cars, furniture, anything that you could get your lips around, you would like to consume. And it is a bottomless hunger. It is a hunger that never ends. No matter how full you are, your brain thinks you're still starving. 
So I was out of nowhere consuming like seven or 8,000 calories a day, which is like bodybuilder, but without like lifting a finger because obviously I couldn't breathe. And so I ballooned. I gained like 75 pounds in six months or something, which is, you know, it's a significant amount of weight. It's not even good for your heart to gain that much weight that fast. But I was a fucking radio DJ. Like, I'm also a human being. I'm not a supermodel. And if I'm on the radio, I I shouldn't need to be a certain... I should never generally have to be a certain size. But in particular, it was completely ridiculous. Like, no one's Men who are on the radio are allowed to look however they want. And they are not all a pretty picture. Not to shame anyone. But, you know, (laughs) they all look fine. They've all succumbed to some gravity uh, and age. And for some reason, I was expected to be, like, rail thin and perfect looking. So that so what? So you could be reassured when you're listening to me on the radio that I I look good enough for you? you Unless I got so fat that I couldn't open my fucking mouth and talk on the radio, it shouldn't be an issue. Mm -hmm. But I was nationally shamed for months on the front cover of tabloid magazines where they would like someone was waiting to photograph like my ass when I was bending over to get my keys so I had pictures of my cellulite and my thighs and my ass always on the front cover of tabloid magazines next to a photo they would choose of me at my thinnest that they'd even I think narrowed out to make look even thinner (laughs) to compare like then and now and what upset me the most about all of it because I'm quite a resilient person and I don't take weight gain as seriously as perhaps I might have done if I hadn't been so sick as a teenager if I hadn't experienced disability I think it gave me quite a strong sense of perspective but the day they released the first images of me having gained weight and turned it into a headline was the same day that um so I just started the job on Radio 1 and every three months they take they publicize your your ratings right uh and this was a very important announcement of what ratings I had because a woman had never in 60 years hosted that show that I'd been given it was this like iconic show on Sundays that had been going for 60 years and so because a woman had never done it before all eyes were on the ratings to see if like a woman's disgusting voice would make all of the all of the listeners (laughs) run away in fear and disgust Uh, but they announced all of the ratings of the male DJs on the station and they didn't announce mine they just announced how much weight I'd gained the newspapers I'd actually gained 200,000 listeners which was amazing in my first three months on radio I was so happy and like so reassured and I felt so grateful and it was such a wonderful day for me and when I went to check what the ratings were and and because I felt like I'd proved something for women a little bit just a little bit like just inching towards our progress I don't think I'm any great like you know icon of any sort like I just it was just a reassuring move for women and uh they didn't even mention that I'd gained 200,000 listeners they just mentioned that I'd gained three dress sizes and that became the leading story of that week and then that became the leading narrative around my name for the following four months and I had men photographers outside my flat calling me a fat c-word to my face following me all the way to the shop just saying things like oh you have to get some cake you have to get some cake you fat bitch like just trying to goad me constantly into reacting so that they would have a photograph of me looking insane probably like I'm trying to eat them in is the, the paparazzi in LA different from the UK oh, I've not really experienced the paparazzi in LA I'm a nobody here which is wonderful and very <laughs> sweet um but anyway, it was just like, it was just a gross time for me to realise. I think that was probably the initial seed for Iway, the movement that yeah, I started. Yeah, I was going to ask we'll you to about. tell me about that. So 
it's because that was the first time I realised that even though I'd had a really strong career and I'd worked my ass off for five years and I was doing a job that literally had nothing to do with my aesthetic, my entire worth and value as a professional and as a human being was just reduced down to a number on a scale, down to the size of, down to the amount of inches around my waist. That's it. That was my, it was a, in black and white, in print, what I am worth is just my body weight is my is how I look my aesthetic and nothing else about me even my actual literal historical progress is important unless I look like some sort of bloody I don't know what Victoria's Secret model is that what we're all supposed to look like now I don't know and that was that I just became pissed off and everyone started offering me like weight loss campaigns and uh, like exercise DVDs where they take like these particularly manipulatively even more embarrassing photographs of you and then to make you look I don't know even bigger than you are or something and then you bring out an exercise DVD and they progress your weight loss they sorry they chart your progress and weight loss and I was offered a lot of money and I just felt so offended by that I was like what messaging does this send out to young women so you're offered an endorsement so many endorsements to lose weight how did you end up losing the weight? Just for it entertainment? It came off over the last six years. Like, it happened so slow. I just shagged it off, if I'm honest. Like, <laughs> And that was great. I highly recommend that as a diet. Uh, just shag off the weight. Um, but I also just wasn't on steroids anymore. So I was just no longer, you know, consuming entire buildings, mm-hmm. um, which I think really helped, naturally. Uh, it's also way less expensive that way, that life. The point is, is I think... I was just, I just said no. I I really take the responsibility of my platform very seriously. And I was really damaged by having bad role models when I was younger in the media. That led to poor lifestyle choices when I was young. And because of that, I wanted to not be that person. I didn't want anyone to see me like panicking and rushing to lose weight and championing weight loss. uh, And then thinking that that's how, that that's what they should be doing, that that's what's important to them. So I told everyone to fuck off. I brought out a plus size clothing label and I became a campaigner because I hadn't really realised it. I think I must have had, I just wasn't aware of how grotesque the industry was until that moment. And I started going and speaking to the government about it. I started giving talks. I went to talk to fashion magazines about it. And I just got loud about the fact that we cannot reduce women to this. Like, this is not, this is grotesque. This is a real problem. And I think at 25 or 26, I was finally old enough and confident enough to do that. Until then, I think I hadn't yet found my voice. And so I've kind of been, I've spent the last six or seven years campaigning tirelessly for us to change the way that we look at women, because I've seen, I've personally lived through the damage that that does to a human being. We're going to continue with Jamil in just a minute. But before we do, I want to talk about toothbrushes. So I use Quip, you know, I was using a different kind of electric toothbrush. It was so bulky and I just could not remember to replace the heads, which is kind of disgusting, like not replacing your toothbrush because they're attached to the thing and they're like more expensive, generally more expensive. Uh, It's just not something that you do. And so Quip is a really healthy, really affordable way to subscribe to new toothbrush heads and have this tool that instead of being like, okay, I put some toothpaste in my mouth. That means I brushed my teeth, right? (laughs) Like I ran it over my front teeth. It times your brushing. Mm -hmm. And so you get your full two minutes of brushing. It tells you when to stop. Sometimes you can do it for two rounds, you know, brush your tongue or something. crazy. And so I feel so fresh and, you know, my chompers are are super happy. And they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists. They were on Oprah's O-list, named one of Time's 
best inventions, and it's the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. So Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash girlboss right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash girlboss. And if you need to know how to spell that, it's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash girlboss. We have so much more with Jamila coming up. But first, I want to talk about our friends, ShipStation. I spent the last 10 years of my career shipping online Mm -hmm. orders. There were many years where I was the only person shipping stuff. And even then, I had one person shipping stuff after I stopped doing it. You need these tools. You need these tools that make it fast and easy. Mm -hmm. When I was doing it, there was nothing like ShipStation, where it integrates with these amazing shopping platforms like Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, or over 75 other popular selling channels. And we use it here at Girlboss. We do. All the time, Maggie. Oh my gosh, it's so easy. I can't tell you how much time I've saved switching over. First of all, I don't even have to write the addresses out anymore by hand. Everything is in the computer ready for you. You hit a couple buttons, print out the label, and bam. It's literally the easiest thing I've done. And it integrates with UPS, Mm -hmm. FedEx, USPS, basically all the popular, I don't know what else there is to ship stuff with so you are covered and right now this entrepreneurial group of women listening to girl boss radio can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our promo code girlboss do not wait go to shipstation.com and before you do anything else click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in girlboss that's shipstation.com enter girlboss shipstation make, make ship happen, happen. Now let's get back to our interview with Jamila Jamil. Jamila started a great project called I Way and even has an Instagram account to match called I underscore Way, W-E-I-G-H. The account weighs women by their strengths, values, and personality traits instead of our bodies. She calls it her museum of self-worth. She shared why she started I Way and how you can get involved. So iWay is a social movement and an Instagram, well, it's a, it started as an Instagram campaign. You can find it on Instagram at i underscore way, W-E-I-G-H. And what it is, is it's not actually a body positive movement. It's a whole life positive movement. It's It challenges women to tell me what they weigh in achievements, in relationships, in interests, in things that they have survived and things that they are currently working their way through. I want to know about the human being as a whole. Um, I would like women to start... We are sort of hazed with information about why we should hate the way that we look and why we should only focus on the way that we look, almost obsess over the way we look, spend all of our money on the way that we look, spend all of our time thinking about the way that we look and doing everything in our power to change it, to fit society's ever-changing prototype of what a woman is supposed to be to be deemed attractive. We have so many different types of men in the media that we're supposed to think are sexy and attractive, but women all just have to look like a teenage sex doll version of Angelina Jolie. They're like celebrated for their dad bod. Yeah, exactly. And if you have a mom bod, whatever that means, or anybody... You should just go off to the glue factory, <laughs> basically. Um, it's it's really, really weird. And so 
I didn't mean to start it as a movement. I just one day saw a post of the Kardashians with loads of numbers written across their bodies. And I looked at it kind of because it's very small on the Instagram explore page, which is like the Wild West, by the way, for your self-confidence. I would uh, always... a lot of before and tread, afters yeah, on yeah, Oh, my God. But I would tread carefully onto the explore page and take a deep breath before you do it. So I saw this tiny little picture and it was just a thumbnail. And I thought, oh, I bet that's how much money they're worth. I wonder I wonder how much money they were. <laughs> so I clicked on it and they realised it wasn't their estimated fortune as a family full of like incredibly powerful businesswomen. It was just how much each of them weighed. And the post was comparing their weight, saying, Who do you looks the who do you think looks the thinnest? And what do you weigh? Asking their their, their like plethora of really young, predominantly female and followers. Who was posting this? What they weigh. It was this Instagram account. It's kind of one of those I call them a thin Instagram accounts, you know, just uh, 500,000 followers which is way too many so much influence to have where they just post like kind of thin inspiration and thin incessant spell. imaging and like yeah of course and then obviously also advertising slimming products and weight loss products uh, it was a very manipulative dangerous account for women so I just blasted it on social media and then decided to write what I weigh and I wrote that I weigh my lovely relationship my wonderful friends that I'm so lucky to have my my bingo wings that I love I think you call them high Helens. Oh yeah, bingo you wings. Wave and no, no, no. You've got a little, bingo okay, wings. Great, strong. Um, I love that part of my body. Uh, I weigh the things that I have survived, and just a bunch, of, just a list of things that had nothing to do with pounds or kilograms. And I didn't ask for anyone to send them back, but they did. I got thousands in the first couple of days, and it just seemed to really capture women's imagination. And I realised that a lot of women hadn't thought in such a long time, sometimes like 10 years about who they are and what they are. They've just been obsessing over what's on the outside, the aesthetic compared to the bullshit imagery that is airbrushed anyway that we are forced to think that we're supposed to conform to in order to be worth anything. Mm -hmm. So you've been pretty vocal about the Kardashians. I have been quite vocal about the Kardashians. Are you still pretty vocal about the Kardashians? I think I've had my moment. I think I've said what I needed to say. You know, they are not the only force of... I don't think they're the only problem in the media. I think they, you know, maybe were one of... They're probably the most successful at it. But I think there's a lot of people online, a lot of, like, quote-unquote influencers who are perpetuating this narrative. I just feel like they have so much money and they have so much influence that it would be really great if they could use that that influence now to to empower women not to tell them to stop eating that's all in her late 20s jamila decided to completely uproot her life quit her huge broadcasting job and move to america to start over she revealed how she got the courage to do this and how you can make a major change in your life too Okay, so back to my tits. Um, when I uh, had the lump and I was going through this sort of existential crisis about like, what have I done with my life? I thought, well, if this turns out not to be cancer, I'm going to book a one-way ticket to Los Angeles and I'm just going to move there. And I don't have a visa. I don't know anyone there. I don't have any contacts. I have no idea what I would do. And I'm just going to leave absolutely everything behind, start in California and then maybe just travel across America. But I'd always wanted to just like live by the sea and and try out California for a while. And then a week later, I found out I did not have cancer. So I had to stay true to my word. And I booked a one-way ticket to Los Angeles. I left the relationship I was in. I marched over to Radio 1 and I said that, I'm so sorry, thank you so much for all the opportunities you've given me, but I've been given what feels like a second chance in life and I'm going to leave. 
in six weeks because it's six weeks from the date of the operation of the lumpectomy that you're allowed to fly again. So I literally booked it for six weeks from the day of the operation. And that's not a lot of notice to give in the UK. Usually there's like a huge amount of notice when you leave a job. I know. Well, my contract was ending anyway in January. So it was this was in November. Out. So it was very lucky. Yeah. It was amazing timing. Yeah, that breast yeah. lump really knew what it was doing. Yeah. And so... I decided to not renew my contract. I left for America. I was told I was too old, too ethnic and too fat by almost everyone that I came into contact with who knew I was leaving everything behind and going to just sort of start a new life in America. And I thought that was really depressing because I was 28, 29, maybe about to turn 29. And I was, uh, what does that mean? You're too Mm -hmm. old, too fat and too ethnic. I don't believe men are told that when they make the crossover from England to America. Uh, so or you, just ever told that in life, generally. So you get to Los Angeles and you're too old, too fat, and too ethnic. Yeah, I brought my old, the world fat, has, ethnic ass over here. So the world... I mean, what? How? I don't want to even... No. Um, you're like like nothing. Okay. At, you're still very, very young for what you've accomplished. So you land in LA with all of this kind of like imprinted on your psyche. Mm-hmm. Still with the confidence of like, all right, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make something happen. What was it that you wanted to make happen and where did you start? I didn't want anything. I wanted a year off. So I just came here and took a year off. So I'd have a gap year. I met a young man who three years later is still my boyfriend now. And he was a musician and he was going on a world tour and he was like, do you want to come with me? And so I jumped on his tour bus and I was like, yes, I took something that we call in England a gap year, basically. I'd never had one of those because I didn't finish school. Um, And so at 29 years old, I basically decided to have my gap year. It was my sort of like eat, pray, eat moment. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of went on a food tour of the world. Jamila's role in The Good Place is her first ever acting gig. She told me how that opportunity came about. I got myself an agent because I had a, like a huge backlog of work that I'd done in the UK. So I was lucky that that afforded me an ability to get meetings here. Got signed to UTA and Three Arts as a management company. Um, I signed to them as a kind of a radio host and a writer because I'd been writing a column for like eight years. And uh, the audition for two shows came up. One of them was a magic show in Vegas that I would be hosting, which I was so excited about. Uh, and the other audition was for Mike Sher to act in his new comedy, which I wasn't allowed to be told what it was about, uh, who I would be playing or who else was in it. I was given zero information. I was given fake sides to read and I'd never acted before. So I really didn't want to go. No offence, Mike Sher, but I really didn't want to go because I just felt like it was so ridiculous and so far out of my wheelhouse and nothing that I'd ever remotely planned on doing with my life. And I knew how to do the hosting gig in Vegas. So my, my agents just begged me to try. They were like, please, will you just try and go to this audition? What's the worst that could happen? So I thought that's fair. And so I decided to go to the audition. I went to the magic audition and this audition. I was lucky enough to get both. And then I had to make a choice between the two. So it's like, do I stay in my comfort zone and do the thing that I know how to do and go and watch magic every day in Vegas? Or do I go on this complete adventure where I have no idea what's going to take me? I have no idea if I'm any good at this. And I'm worried that the headlines are going to read Indian Woman Ruins Mike Scher's New Comedy. Uh, I was terrified. It's a re- like you're really like acting opposite people like Ted Danson and Kristen Bell, who would very likely show me up and probably have. Uh, I felt so exposed and terrified. But it would 
it was more in line with what I'd come to America to do, which was try a whole new life. So I took the leap like a maniac, Um, like a maniac, and became an actress having never acted before. So did you just wing it? Did you learn on the fly? Have you spent time honing your talent as an actor? Have you gone and taken courses or improv or all the things that people in Los Angeles do? Or you just, you just Oh, no, no, no. I've, I've winged it. Back to that word blag. I've blagged it. Uh, you know, it's, I'm super lucky that I work with very generous actors and also Ted Danson and Kristen Bell are two of the most talented people I've ever met. So I've basically just stolen from them. I've ripped off what they're doing. I've absorbed them. And because I get to spend like 16 hours a day, especially in the first season, a lot of my scenes were with Ted Danson. One on, like a lot of, we had a lot of one-on-one. So you're there with 15, 16 hours a day with this unbelievable genius. He's a genius actor. I think almost via osmosis, I just sort of like absorbed some of his skill set. I really observed him and I kind of had to just learn on the fly. I didn't have time. You know, we did the audition and a couple of weeks later we were filming a pilot. There was no time to learn. I asked them if I should get acting lessons. They told me not to because they thought I'd get into my own head and they'd cast me based on what I was currently doing and they didn't want that to change or for me to overthink it. And I'm also like a neurotic English person so I think they probably made the right call. I would have just shat myself probably if I knew if I had too much information so I just went with it I was completely numb for the whole first season I don't even think I really had that much fun I didn't really process anything I just got up went to work did my job tried to not get fired and stole all of the snacks and it wasn't until the very last we shot the very last scene of the series uh, that I that was my final day that was my final hour on the set and I was sure that I'd be fired after that anyway so I you know said a very dignified goodbye to everyone I was like thanks for having me sorry if I was shit have have a great year I can't wait to see the show and I walk off set and I'm walking back towards my trailer and out of nowhere I just started sobbing I started bawling with tears like that kind of really like gross like (laughs) ugly cry like when you're a baby um you know when you can't breathe and it's a uh, that sort of cry Uh, all the way out to the point where my boyfriend who was waiting to greet me to congratulate me on finishing the series thought I had literally been fired because I was sobbing my eyes out and it was just that it had all hit me I'd protected myself from realizing what a huge deal this was that I was acting with some of my heroes and in a show written by another one of my heroes Mike Sher who is honestly a genius and one of the nicest bosses I have ever the nicest boss I'd say I've ever had it was just too much for me that the kid who'd been sitting after that car accident with unable to move for a year who would watch it who would watch like NBC comedies just to kind of get through the day was now in one of those NBC half hour comedies I was watching Cheers I was watching Frasier I was watching things that those two people were in Mm-hmm. And now I was acting alongside them. And it was on a so network surreal. television show, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than a network television show. I don't know if everybody, you know, this is something you learn when you live in L.A. There's nothing bigger than a show. There's so many more eyeballs mm. than, you know, a cable show. Well, I just think it was also such a great show. And it's an intelligent show and it doesn't patronize audiences. And uh, the writers are such masterful artists. And it's funny and it's special and it's different. And... I was super, super lucky, but I think it was just too much. It was too much to process. And so the shock hit me afterwards and I was able to thankfully be brought back for another two seasons. And I've since started to really enjoy the process of acting. So you've made a lot of really bold moves in your career. Yeah, I'm a maniac. And for a lot of people, that's super scary. Yeah. For someone who it's not as natural for, what would your advice be to making a move like that? I would read a book 
which I read when I was 19 that probably changed my life. It's called uh, Yes Man by Danny Wallace. And it's about a man who's very depressed and his life has turned to shit, who decides to take an oath to say yes to everything. Um, And I tried to mostly adopt that into my life I still not said yes to anal that's the one thing I'm truly holding out on uh that's probably the the times that I have had bad sex right fair just to just to like uh, articulate Uh, yeah well it's the only thing that I've truly been I've not yet been able to say yes to but other than that um my publicist is holding her (laughs) head (laughs) right now but other than that that was the thing that made me go to that first ever audition as an English teacher who went to a tv audition for you I I was going to ask what's next oh. but I think you just told me <laughs> anal <laughs> no way no 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 I don't think I'll ever be able to cross that frontier but uh, that book I would uh, I honestly really recommend it it's so inspiring and it honestly changed my life to the point that when I met Danny Wallace I said to him I was like I kind of feel like I kind of owe you money um because I wouldn't have had this whole career in this whole life um I also think it's really important to make sure that you're not going stale in life and to not uh, navigate your life fueled by fear. I think we're fear-mongered by our parents, by people around us. People also project their own fears onto us and, you know, things that they're afraid to do, they discourage you from doing. I think because if you... Maybe they're afraid that you'll succeed. Sometimes they're afraid that you'll fail, but sometimes they're afraid that you'll succeed and then that will make them feel bad about the fact that they themselves are not pushing themselves to do more in their lives so I think identify what your fears are identify if those fears are real and valid obviously if you're like a single mother don't just like move to America on your own (laughs) like try and start something you know like take the precautions be realistic with yourself but Make sure you know what you want. Don't do jobs that are based on what your parents want you to do because they're not going to be with you 50 or 60 hours a week at that miserable job that isn't your passion. Just write down a list of all of the things that you love, all of the things that you would like to do and start to figure out if any of those things could be feasibly, even in a far-fetched way, feasibly possible. And if they are, really, I really... I really encourage you to to start making moves towards that dream of yours because it's really important to be fulfilled. Even if you have a good job that other people are impressed by, like I did when I was in the UK, I wasn't happy and my body was telling me that I wasn't happy in my current life. And from the outside, it probably looked like I had a great life, but I was personally unhappy and unfulfilled and I got sick. These things make you sick, I believe. And so... I would say read Yes Man by Danny Wallace. I would say make a list of all of your strengths and all of your dreams and identify what your fears are and how you can go about conquering them. So you work a lot. Yes. Do you experience stress? Yes. So how do you, you know, without manifesting the things that your body has Mm -hmm. shown you in the past, how do you circumvent the kind of stress that you experienced in the UK? How do you deal with working 16-hour days? I think I look after my body. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, and that really helps. And I've had therapy, which I think is brilliant, and there should be no taboo around that. Um, That was incredibly helpful to me. I did a therapy called EMDR, uh, which I found in particular very, very, very helpful, especially if you're overcoming any trauma from when you were younger, which I think so many women have. Um, And men, but most women. Uh, I also make sure to make room in my life for love and for friendship and for fun. I'm, I never used to do that when I was younger. Now I take my weekends off. Yeah, no, 
No. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm very protective of my arsehole, Sophia, and that's something that you need to know about me. I um, I make the time. I take time out of my life. I take the holidays now, and I know that affection means a lot to me, so I make time every morning. I'll wake up an hour extra before my 16-hour day just to spend time with my boyfriend in the mornings and get my cuddles and get my coffee. That I, I know the little things that I need to keep me going. I'm very respectful of my health and my personal space. I don't overextend myself anymore. I'm also 32. Like, I'm too old for that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your priorities really shift when you get into your 30s. I stopped drinking, right. and it's mm-hmm. such a different lifestyle. And socializing feels so different. But also I wake mm-hmm. up and I generally, if I don't take melatonin like I did mm-hmm. last night, feel like my brain is working 10 times faster than it did, even when I had two mm. drinks the night before. So, yeah, it's just fascinating how the world kind of changes around you, but as a person, as you evolve what you what you enjoy can completely change in such a short oh, period. Oh, for sure. Also, I mean, I've never drunk, so for me the world didn't change massively, but okay. I uh, but I just didn't take the time out. I, we just keep going and we keep going and we keep going. We don't ever stop, we don't ever rest. And if you are lucky enough to have the luxury to even take a day off or, or have that time for yourself and even cut, cut out like an hour or so a day just of time for you to do anything you want and practice a little bit of selfishness which I think women are never encouraged to do practice the art of selfishness and self-preservation every so often so that you can keep yourself in check and check in with yourself so there's two questions that I ask everybody who comes on Girls Radio and one of those you know a thing that we're we really there's no way to crack it but something because the, the answer is different for everybody what success means and it's not just work and it's not just money and this is a world where we've been told it is those things or it's your body or it's all these things that have been projected onto us what does success mean to you i was really rich at 26 i was technically famous in my country i was a size us4 and i was living a very glamorous life and i was still the most miserable I have ever been in my entire life. I know for a fact that those things do not actually make you happy and do not make you feel better. Um, In fact, I think that was the year that I had like a full nervous breakdown. So these things cannot change your life for the better as much as you think that they will. To me, success is contentment and gratitude, honestly. And being able to laugh at your job is something that I consider very important. So having any job in which I can laugh, like belly laugh until a tiny bit of of urine comes out, (laughs) that's, that's when I feel like I have succeeded in life. I'm not an extremely extravagant person, but just enough money to live comfortably, being content in your life. That is the ultimate, that's the ultimate fuck you society as a woman is to be content with your life, to be content with yourself. They don't want that because if you're content with yourself, you will stop consuming as much. You will stop Mm -hmm. buying as much. Mm -hmm. So they almost kind of like manipulate us to feel bad about ourselves and feel bad about our lives and constantly strive and strive and strive and strive. And a little bit of ambition is important, but I feel like we strive too hard in so many different directions to try and be this like bullshit avatar of perfection And I think that is market-led. And so I think contentment, to get to a point of gratitude for your life and the things that you have and the things that we all take for granted, like the use of our bodies, whether our bodies are a size zero or not, these bodies take us from A to B and they take us to our lives and they keep us going every single day. Being grateful and being content and laughing until a tiny bit of piss comes out. (laughs) That's success. Before she left, I asked Jamila to share her most recent girl boss moment. I think my biggest girl boss moment 
in the last couple of years was the moment I quit my job and quit my relationship and quit my whole life and moved to California to take a year off and start again in my life. Even though I was so old and fat and ethnic, how dare I? <laughs> that was my biggest girl boss moment to date. Fuck you, it was always a good girl boss moment. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Girlboss Radio. Remember, if you want to see what the future looks like, go to thefuture.girlboss.com for early access. Subscribe to our show. Subscribe to all of our shows. Jen Gotch is okay sometimes. Hashtag lip stories. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>